Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, we'll be just looking at two verses this morning. Uh, they're verses that I know you've heard before because uh, they kind of focus on time. And as I was sharing with the young people, God's timetable is quite different than ours. But we're in Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, at verses 8 and 9 this morning together. Verses 8 and 9. So here's what uh, Peter shares with us. Remember, Peter's aim is to stimulate wholesome thinking. In other words, he wants us to think correctly because the way we think affects how we live. So he wants us to think correctly. And here's what he has to say regarding time and uh, future events as well. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here ends the reading of our passage this morning. Well, as Peter begins here this morning, he begins by focusing on time, and uh, if you are following the outline in the bulletin, we're at point number one, we're jumping right into point number one, and the point is this, God's timetable is different than your timetable. God's timetable is different than your timetable. So Peter begins this morning's study with an important reminder. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God's timetable is different than your timetable. You see, we see time differently than God sees time. You see, we are concerned with seconds and minutes and hours and days. It only takes a second or even a fraction of a second to set a new world record in sports. It only takes a minute to miss the train. And I'm thinking about uh, at the Denver airport, you know, you are rushing and you hear that voice, doors are closing, you know, and they're moving on. If you're late, the doors close and you miss the train. In a matter of minutes. You know, it only takes an hour to convict somebody of murder. I was just reading this week in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. A jury took about an hour to find a man guilty of first-degree murder in a shooting during a robbery attempt in a Mississippi home. So in one hour, this man was facing life imprisonment. In a day, as we measure time, in a day, people in the U.S. take an average of 4,774 steps, okay? So in your day, you take about approximately 4,000 some steps. So as illustrated, we measure time by seconds, minutes, hours, and days. However, God's clock is quite different. God measures time in light of eternity, all right? God doesn't use seconds, minutes, 
hours and days. He uses eternity to measure time. A man was taking it easy. He was lying on his back in the plush grass, and he was gazing up into heaven. He was looking at the clouds. He was identifying shapes when he decided to talk to God. He said, God, how long is a million years? God answered, well, in my frame of reference, he says, a million years is about a minute. Then the man asked, God, how much is a million dollars to you? God answered to me, it's about a penny. The man then asked God, God, can I have a penny? God responded, give me a minute. As we think correctly, remember Peter wants to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. Uh, we learn here from verse 8 that God's timetable is completely different than our timetable. Here's the second thing we learn from verses 8 and 9 this morning. God's perceived slowness is really God's patience, okay? And that comes from verse 9. God's perceived slowness is really God's patience. Since our timetable is quite different than God's, uh, we perceive God's inactivity as slowness. That's how we look at it. For example, my brother, I shared with you, well, probably a couple months ago, I shared with you my brother lost his job. Uh, and so I, I spoke to him yesterday, and I says, and he still doesn't have a job. And I said, how long has it been? He says, it's been five months that he's been without a job. And I know my brother, he's been faithful as far as praying, and he's seeking God. He's asking for his provision and so forth. But for some reason, this is month five in his unemployment. When we experience those situations, we ask, God, what are you up to? What are you up to? Verse 9 informs us that God is not slow, but rather he's patient. You see, we focus on our immediate needs. God focuses on the big picture. That's why we wrestle so with time. And that's why we wrestle so with, with God. You see, we're focusing on our immediate needs. We, we need answers right now. But with God's timetable, he sees the big picture. And so he asks of us, please be patient. Please be patient. In 1991, uh, Garth Brooks uh, sang a song called Unanswered Prayers, and you probably remember that back in 1991. It was one of the number one uh, songs on the country charts. Uh, as you will reflect and recall about that song, uh, the song entitled Unanswered Prayers, the song is about a young man who uh, returns home and uh, goes to the fair, and at the fair bumps into his uh, high school sweetheart. 
and he proceeds to introduce his high school sweetheart to his wife. And uh, he recalls in that song, he recalls how he had prayed that God would uh, answer his prayer and that his high school sweetheart and he would become husband and wife and live life together. But as he spoke with this young lady, this uh, sweetheart from the past, things were definitely not the same. Things had changed. And as he looked at his wife, he realized that he was thankful for unanswered prayer because God had brought a greater blessing into his life. The chorus goes like this. Sometimes I thank God for answered prayers, unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. The lesson is this. God has the big picture in mind. And often it's the greatest blessings that come to your life as you patiently wait on God's timing. Number three, God's patience so that people will repent. God's patience so that people will repent. In the previous verse, verses, prior to verses 8 and 9, if you look back at the earlier verses there, uh, Peter is addressing false teachers. Uh, the false teachers were bellyaching. Uh, in fact, these false teachers were uh, teaching falsehood. They were teaching heresy. And, of course, Peter wants us to be aware of false teachers. Uh, you see, the false teachers were basically saying, and this is their heresy, this is their false teaching, the false teachers were saying that there is no second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what they were arguing, the false teachers. Uh, they based their conclusions, of course, on human opinion. And their opinion came from history. As they reflect on history, they notice that things haven't really changed. There hasn't been any major events in history that uh, would indicate that God is returning a second time. In fact, if you look at verse 4 there in chapter 3, uh, they said this, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So that was their uh, thoughts, these false teachers' thoughts. Well, Peter, he addresses that false thinking, and he goes on in verse 9, and he says that God's slowness is really the patience of God. Uh, and the reason God is slow, if you will, or the reason God is patient is because God is in the saving business. That's why he seems slow. We call it slow, but he's really patient. And the reason that he is, in pa that he is patient is because he wants all people to repent and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. That is so crucial to him. That is so important to God. He wants all people to come and know him as Lord and Savior. Jesus says, I have come 
that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's what God desires for everybody. And since that his, is one of his passions, he is patient. He, he doesn't turn up. He doesn't speed up time because people are important to him. I came across this verse in my study, Ezekiel 18, verse 23. It says this. This is interesting. He says, God says, Do I take any pleasure in the depth, or excuse me, in the death of a wicked, of the wicked? Rather, he says, Am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So you, really what we see here is that God is very, very concerned about humanity. He's concerned about his creation. And consequently, he is delaying his return so that he can grow his family. He's not slow, as some consider slow, but rather God is patient because he wants all of humanity to find him and know him as Lord and Savior. So that's why he's slow. That's why he's patient. So God's patient, or excuse me, slowness is really patience. And also here, number four, God is patient so that people will not be judged. Point number three is said that, you know, God is patient because he wants people to repent. Here, the fourth point is God is patient so that people will not be judged. And that's coming from verse 9 as well. Now, I don't know about you, but I get pumped knowing that Jesus will be, will be returning to earth. Jesus is coming again. He is. And I get pumped. I get excited. Matthew... In the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew describes Jesus' second coming with these words. Listen to these. For as lightning, for as the lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Furthermore, in Matthew, Matthew writes these words. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. As I read those verses and as I think and reflect on the second coming, I go, wow, okay, wow. That's going to be an awesome day. That day when Jesus returns, the second coming, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, okay? My deliverer is coming, all right? Victory is ours. We win. That's the second coming. As I thought about that, I realized I'm getting ahead of myself here. And if maybe, maybe I'm, I'm carrying you along with me, you're starting to experience that excitement too, I've got to put a damper on it now. I've got to say, hey, we've got to hold our horses here. We've got to back up. Okay, we've got to back up. Um, yes, Jesus is returning. But he's returning more than a victor. He's returning more than a winner. He is returning as a judge. 
right? He's returning at, as a judge. You see, the second coming is not, all, is not a joyous time for those who have rejected Jesus. It's a sad time because we just read, remember? The nations are going to see him coming, and they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn because the second coming is a time of judgment. I'm going to show you our uh, timeline here. We had this a couple uh, Sundays ago. Uh, Peter was talking about the last days, and you'll remember this. We are living in the last days. So we're there right now, okay? When Peter talks about the last days, that's where we're at. Uh, last days, they began with the start of the church. That's representing the cross. When the church start began, well, we began the last days. And the last days will come to an end for the believer here at the rapture. Okay, that's when the last days comes to an end. Uh, as the uh, person in the center there signifies, we have a question mark. The question mark is, okay, we're in the last days. Where exactly are we when it comes to the last days? You know, are we back here towards the cross? Or are we now in history, where we're at now, are we closer to the rapture? That's the question. We don't have the answer, but that's what we're asking ourselves. Now, when Jesus does return, when the rapture does take place, all believers will be taken out of this world. Okay, We will be raptured. We will be snatched out of the world here to meet Jesus in the air. That is the rapture. And when we gather with Jesus in the air, he's going to organize us and we're coming back. And that will be the second coming. So I shared with you that I needed to dampen, dampen your thoughts regarding the second coming. You know, I'm thinking, wow, that second coming. We're going to see Jesus, you know, like lightning in the east that can be seen in the west. We're going to hear the trumpet call of Jesus when he returns. You know, I always perceive that as I'm looking at that. But according to Scripture, hey, man, I'm going to be riding the horse or I'm going to be riding whatever it is. I'm going to be returning with Jesus, coming back where Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Um, maybe just to kind of prick some interest. Uh, Jesus comes back, the rapture. We're caught up with Jesus in the rapture with him. And then that's in the air. Uh, we get organized and we return. And uh, beyond the arrow here, we go into that thousand-year period called, called the millennium. That's when Jesus comes back physically, sets up his earthly kingdom, and he reigns for a thousand years. That is the second coming. We who are believers, who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will be part of that setup. I don't know what our jobs will be, but we'll be joining Jesus Christ as he sets up that millennium kingdom. Now, he is patient. He is slow, if you will. He doesn't want to establish that millennial kingdom right yet because, one, remember, he wants people to repent. He wants many people to find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So he is patient. And then lastly here, remember, this is a judgment time. When Jesus comes back the second time, it's judgment. People are going to say, oh, crud. I messed up. 
They're not going to be high-fiving. They're not going to be chest-bumping when they see Jesus coming back. No, they're going to say, crud. I didn't listen to my neighbor. Ah, oh, rats. I was poo-pooing that Christianity stuff. And he's coming back, and there's going to be a judgment taking place. And so, that's why Jesus is delaying. You know, people need to repent. And second of all, it's not, it's not going to be a joyous time for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. It's judgment time. It's judgment time. Therefore, Jesus is delaying. That's why Jesus is patient. So Peter is bringing us some wholesome teaching here this morning. Remember, he wants us to think correctly. And in particular this morning, he wants us to think correctly about the second coming. Uh, first, we need to understand that God operates according to a different timetable than ours. Uh, that's the first thing Peter says I want you to understand. Secondly, Peter explains that God is not slow, like we think he is, but rather he is patient. So God's slowness equals patience. Uh, number three, he's patient so that people will repent and find Jesus as Lord and Savior. And lastly, he is patient, number four, because when he comes back, it's judgment time, okay? The counts will be settled when he comes back that second time. And that's the kind of thinking Peter wants us to have this morning when we uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Now let's talk about application as we depart here and move on with our lives this, on this day. Um, here's what we need to do as far as applying these verses. We need to look for the big picture. You see, God has a purpose. Remember, God's timetable is different than ours. And when he doesn't respond like we think he should respond, we assume that he is slow and doesn't care. What we need to understand here this morning as we live our own personal Christian lives is that God has the big picture in mind. God has a purpose. God is not slow. Oftentimes, there's something bigger in the works. So to see that blessing that God has for you, you need to exercise patience. You need to understand that his timetable is different than yours. And knowing that helps us, to a degree, helps us to exercise patience because we know that God has something better in store. An artist went to visit an old friend and saw her weeping because she had just ruined a beautiful, beautiful handkerchief that had great value to her. There was a spot of indelible ink on it. She had spilled some ink, and she thought she ruined it. Well, the friend asked her to let him have that handkerchief, and he said, give it to me for a time. Let me look at it, he says. A few days later, he mailed back, that, mailed back that handkerchief. And when she opened that package, she could hardly believe her eyes. The artist, using that ink blot as a base, had drawn on it a beautiful design. Now it was more beautiful and more valuable than it ever was. Sometimes the things that break our hearts 
become the basis for a more beautiful outcome in our life. So Peter says, be patient. God's timetable is different. Be patient. Uh, when you encounter setbacks and uh, experience things that, are, things that are beyond your control, uh, be, be patient. Be patient because those things that seem wrong, those things that seem unfair, those hurts, those pains, those things in the hands of God turn into something beautiful. God's not slow, as some consider slowness. But God is at work making things beautiful in His time. Let's pray. Father God, again, we are grateful that uh, you are in control. And that's the crazy thing about time, at least our time. Um, our time creates anxiousness and anxiety in our hearts. And, and, uh, and we make crazy conclusions such as you don't care or, or things are beyond your control and there's nothing you can do. Lord God, we renounce those thoughts at this time. We know that you are the most powerful being in the world. And you love us so deeply. Father God, help us exercise patience as we allow for your timetable to work in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We'll have a great Sunday.